Just gonna run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hello, and welcome to Spartan Speak, a podcast from the Lansing State Journal and Detroit Free Press focused on Michigan State sports. I'm Phil Friend, your host, producer, and sports writer for LSJ. And joining me as always is Lansing State Journal sports columnist Graham Couch and Detroit Free Press Michigan State beat writer Chris Solari. Gentlemen, how are you doing this evening? Chris, you first. I'm doing well. I'm trying to figure out a lighting situation here, but, um, you know, that's... You know, some say that there's probably not many lights going on anyways for me, so <laughs> not really sure. But otherwise, doing well. Happy holidays to both of you guys. Yes, happy holidays to everyone as well. I, we were talking about Christmas shopping uh, earlier today. Chris, it's December 23rd, and you're going to do yours here in about a couple hours. So, you know, it's a, that feels like a finish. great time to, to get it done. I do. Finish. 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 My bad. I, I, I'm actually with Chris. Like when, when I used to do a lot of Christmas shopping, the 23rd was my go-to day. Like you're not panicked enough by things closing yet, but it's time to go, you know, as it's actually like the 24th is nerve wracking. Like if you've ever been in Meyer, when they say, attention shoppers, Meyer's going to close in 10 minutes or whatever like that is. And I know in the pandemic world that we've gotten used to Meyer not being 24 seven, but for a long time, the most unsettling 36 hours of any year to me were when Meyer was closed from 6 p.m. Yeah. until 6 a.m. The day after Christmas, I did not like it. I felt like there emergencies could happen in which I could not get to Meyer, and that I, I just didn't like it at all. When Graham needs duct tape at three a.m., where does he go? <laughs> yeah, we uh, we just did my dad shopping on Sunday, so we had to get something shipped, and it somehow got shipped before uh, before Christmas Day, even though it was ordered on Monday. So that was pretty pretty exciting. Really, kind of ran it to the end of the line there. Yeah, shout out to those people who are in the delivery. They they kind of get quietly lost in the shuffle, but the last two years they've had as busy at times as anybody, uh, particularly during the holidays. So shout out to all the delivery people out there. It's, you know, we talk about you know the heroes in the healthcare community, and rightfully so. And I, I think that's it's this is a different kind of of thanks that that sometimes gets underappreciated uh, for for what our society has become really in the last two years. That's a grind. I play some hoops yeah. with guys who, who um, you know, are like UPS drivers, and, and uh, you know that this time of year, it's it's those are long days. Yes, well said. Shout out to all the delivery workers who are working on the twenty third and twenty fourth, especially the guy who's the UPS worker on the twenty fourth who's allegedly bringing me my new work computer on that day. We'll see if it actually gets there. Christmas Eve. What, a, wow. what a weird time to deliver it is what I would say. I'm surprised they're even working on, on that day. But uh, anyway, no one wants to hear us talk about Christmas shopping and gifts anymore. So let's uh, let's move on to the sports ball, shall we, guys? Absolutely. All right. Well, I know that uh, we had some interesting news yesterday with uh, the reporting that Rutgers at 5-7 and seven, uh, was going to go to a bowl game, uh, taking on Wake Forest, and the fact that they were replacing 
Texas A&M in the bowl game, and they will take on Wake Forest. And, and with that, there's just a bunch of wave of other teams, you know, coming down with a ton of COVID cases. There's talks of moving bowl games back, and there's some we are in the media, so we're definitely interested in where, you know, some media things are not going to be in person that we don't over Zoom. That includes Michigan State and Pitt in, in that bowl game. And I know, Chris, you, you had some thoughts about that. A lot of thoughts about that because – I'm not really sure exactly what this is doing to protect the kids who are going home for the holidays. I mean, ultimately, it's the same as it would have been had they have not closed it. I, I you know, it, it it's a whole weird dynamic right now. I mean, you know, there's there's a lot of that is I think being done for optics with the growing cases, but but let's face it. I mean, these kids are now off on their own through Christmas and there's no, there's nothing that schools could have done. I mean, you would not have done this. Um, you know, you, you wouldn't have been able to keep them on campus. Like, uh, the MSU's basketball team had to do a year ago because they had a game on Christmas day. Um, totally different circumstances. And, you know, these kids are going to all go home and, you know, it and then reconvene in another spot. So everybody goes to their separate locations and comes back. So, I mean, from a transmission standpoint, there's a hell of a lot more risk there than there is with being in a room, socially distanced with reporters asking questions. So, um, I, I think a lot of that is for optics, but it'll be, you know, it is what it is with it. I mean, you know, the stories aren't going to be great. Uh, they're not, let me rephrase that. The stories will be great for on our end, but, it's the information and the access and the, the things that people say over Zoom versus in person, as we've seen the course of this year, can be a lot different. Don't you agree, Graham? Yeah, no, it, it's a little bit of a shame for, I mean, a, a, a good, you know, depending on how bowls do it, and some of these bowls have pretty good access, there's some good stories that get told sometimes because you're able to get uh, people in sort of these individual platforms and have conversations for a little bit. And, and so, you know, you, you tend to get um, some liveliness, and, and bowl games are fun. Some people let their hair down a little bit sometimes, and it's just you, you won't get any of that. And and uh, and that's just one of the pitfalls of the um, of where we are right now, right? It's just it's it's too bad. And hopefully, this is a quick blip, and it doesn't mess with much basketball season. And uh, and uh, and these games get in. I mean, I, I think it's tough right now for college football in the NFL to. I mean, you're, you're you know, you're just up against it schedule-wise. There's not a whole lot of maneuvering, and you're in, like, the belly of a, a new variant, and uh, you just got to try to find a way to do this. And, and I, Chris, I think you're right. I think kids coming back from other places, you know, and I'm not sure what testing protocols will be for different places, but, you know, and, and, and in the Big Ten, if you don't, if you're not symptomatic and you're vaccinated, you're not going to get, you're not going to deal with it. So, but there are probably going to be some symptomatic people just judged on how many cases there are, and, and, uh, I would be, um, I would not, I would be surprised if another game isn't canceled or another team doesn't have to pull out somewhere of some game. It just seems like we're we're headed in in, in that direction um, with just the transmissibility of this this variant. I, I I'm more interested in how this is the the protection, you know, limiting availability and and in person interviews is is the thing that's protecting the health and safety of, of these student athletes, as we we saw yesterday in a CFP release, when the reality is this is being done to protect the 
interests of the bowl, the interests of the CFP, and the interests of their advertising partners to keep the television block and the programming going. Ultimately, that's what that is. I mean, because outside of the the three games that will be played to determine a national champion, assuming those games get played, um, that's all that we have at this point. Um, it's sad. I mean, but, you know, what a bowl game is, um, what these bowl trips are meant to be, uh, is an experience in different cities, different cultures, different uh, dynamics for a lot of these kids. And right now it's just another football game. It's just another football game in a city somewhere. Yeah, no, it's, you know, it's, I mean, that's that that's what the reality of what the the message yesterday was in in limiting a lot of those things and telling teams, well, you can come in two days before the game, um, you know, that. It's just another football game that's meant to fill a television block right now. And that's sad for a team like Michigan State and like Pitt and and these other CFP teams that that have had successful seasons. And you're trying to say, well, these these New Year's Six Bowls actually mean something and they're really relevant and really pertinent when in reality, the way that we're seeing in the last 24 hours kind of tells you exactly how it is. Yeah, you know, I I think with the the playoff, I mean, I kind of get it right. Those that that's a true business trip, right, for those four teams. And, and so you're trying to do the semifinal. You're going to have another game. It's not like a regular bowl thing. Um, I think with the other games, you're right. And, and you know, it's interesting. I've been watching some old you know bowl highlights from 20 years ago and things like that. And you see, just those games, you know, the pre-playoff were treated so differently and. Mm-hmm. It was, you know, you didn't need to win the whole thing to have a great year and to try to finish it out with a showcase game. And I think part of that was because nobody ever really won the whole thing. It was just sort of this voted on thing at the yeah. end of the year. That, you know, you didn't really have a, a complete control over it. And, and um, I, yeah, I think it's, 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 I mean, obviously, COVID just screws a lot of stuff up. What I'm happy about as a hoops guy is when you just look at, the speed at which this has come and the speed at which it's already declining in like South Africa. I think this is a football season problem, maybe an early January hoops conference schedule problem. I do not think this is going to be a February, March issue for college basketball, but um, I refused, I refuse to go out in that limb because if it's not this, then what's the next variant? I mean, that's, that's the, what we live in. You know, I mean, it's, you know, it might not be this variant, but, you know, you can't really predict and project out the future. You kind of just got to let it ride a little bit. And, you know, I think that there's reason for caution. Um, And I think that they're obviously operating with an abundance of it uh, at a lot of different levels right now. But, you know, who's to say that, you know, late February, early March, that that the variant doesn't morph into something else, uh, the next variant, and then then what? You know. Yeah. But you know it, it. You know the hope is that the variant eventually weakens itself to where it becomes, with with the the uh, people that are vaccinated in particular, but it, with others and in, in the the course of the the you know the natural uh, immunity eventually. Um, that it, it becomes like the flu uh, rather than something that's keeping people in hospitals right now. I mean, I, I do have some optimistic hope that this is going to be less severe and that because it's so dominant, it'll kick out the other variants. And, and you know, for me, with 
I think one of the other things that's happened with college hoops more than football is COVID's already ruined two college basketball seasons. Yeah. Almost completely. So, like, at this point, uh, you know, we can go full bore ahead. And I'll just go in with optimism, and it can't get any worse than what it's done to the last two. <laughs> so I'm, I'm, I've lived those disappointments, and, um, you know, I, I'm, I'm – I'm hopeful, but I think it's a problem, and, I, and it'll be a very interesting week. Like it was, you know, Chris, we were talking, you know, I don't know exactly when, but you know, we were wondering if things were going to happen, and, you know, how rapidly this is going to happen with bowls, and could they get them in, and and uh, it, it it's moving, and so we'll, we'll see, and and hopefully, hopefully, we're, you know, there's still some, you know, for a lot of people making the trip, it's still a fun experience, and and for Michigan State's players, it's still a fun experience, and it's still a good game, and it's a showcase, and you know, we get some of the some of the bowl feel. Even if for for guys like you and me, it's it's just becomes, bleh. yeah, yeah, uh, and you know, particularly for the players. I mean, you know, I I have not heard yet what Michigan State's travel plans are, but um, I know that there was a lot of things that, you know, in interpersonal activities with the other team, with Pitt players, um, you know, a lot of that stuff probably is going to end up being scuttled. Um, and they're not required to participate anymore. So I would imagine that teams are going to try and keep their their players within a bubble as much as possible, which is sad because I think that's part of the bowl experience for those kids um, to have the interaction and, and competition and camaraderie with your opponent. But um, it does become just another football game at the same point. And that maybe, maybe that's a good thing for this team too, to go out and try and win 11 and just be take it as a business trip. Well, Graham, you mentioned about, you know, the showcase and pageantry uh, of this, the Pitt Michigan state bowl game or anything, but it's already lost a little bit of its luster in that since we've last recorded both, you know, Pitt QB, Kenny Pickett and Michigan state running back, Kenneth Walker have all uh, bowed out of this, of this bowl game. So I think, I think it, it takes a little bit of a ding there in the small regard, but that doesn't take it away from the rest of the roster. I mean, I'm just in terms of a, maybe a national feel. Yeah, I think where it's really hurt is is be outside of the pit in Michigan State communities. Like Michigan State fans are absolutely still going to watch this game. It's their team; they want to see them finish. There's still a lot of intrigue. It's, it says things about next year's roster because you're not you weren't going to have uh, Kenneth Walker anyway, um, you know. And and and, and I and I think Michigan State's at a huge advantage here. From you know, people are thinking about the gambling line. Like, who? Let, let me ask you this: Who would you rather uh, lose for a game, Peyton Thorne or Kenneth Walker? That's an easy question. I mean, you'd you'd probably rather lose your your running back, you would think. Right. right. Well, so how so much of what Peyton Thorne has done this season has been predicated on the fact that defenses were loading the box with nine, eight, nine, ten guys to stop Kenneth Walker and allow him to free things up. The quarterback is just so connected to everything you do, and then to also have, if you're Pitt, you know, to have a a record setting type quarterback and and. And the backups thrown fourteen passes this year. Like, I, I just think that you know, losing your quarterback, no matter how great Kenneth Walker was, and I think Michigan State is a, you know, maybe a five-win team without him, six-win team without him. But it, it, it still in this for this moment, you, you'd rather you know you'd rather not lose your your quarterback, in in my opinion. But I think locally, you know, there will still be interest. I just think nationally, the idea that you had Pickett versus Walker and you had some zing to that, some something they could market, you know, that's completely gone. And it's, it's, uh, you know, essentially two teams. Cause you know, you, it's essentially two six and six teams. Cause that's probably what these teams would have been without those two players. 
Maybe. I mean, I, I could make an argument that Michigan State wouldn't even have been that good um, because that would have meant more time on the field for the secondary without Kenneth Walker. <laughs> and, you know, who knows what would have happened in a lot of those other games. But uh, I, I think that, you know, what's going to be interesting to me is, you know, are any other guys going to opt out uh, of this game? And, you know, as of recording this on the, the Thursday at one eleven p.m., Michigan State appears to be otherwise intact other than potentially guys that are out that are injured. Um, Pitt, I think, has at least one other opt-out. Um, I believe it's one of their their defensive backs, which certainly helps Peyton Thorne in that respect as, as well. And, you know, maybe you see a different kind of game plan. Maybe you see them go a little more pass first, um, you know, rather than, than running the ball. But Certainly, it's it, it has lost a little bit of its luster, and I do think Graham one of the other uh, one of the other side plots that's here um, kind of goes back to Pat Narduzzi, uh, but beyond that, um, you know, I don't think there was any secret that Pat Narduzzi has coveted the Michigan State job and you know wanted to be wanted uh, in a lot of ways when when they hired Mel Tucker, and I think there were some hurt feelings from what I've heard from some people from some sources uh, when he was first bypassed for Luke Fickle um, and then Mel Tucker. Uh, I think there was some, some, I don't want to say hard feelings, but I think there were some hurt feelings uh, from Narduzzi. So there's a little motivation there, but the other quiet thing, and that was what, two and a half years ago now. So it's pretty recent history. The other thing that's not really talked about, it, it was only about four or five months ago that there was a hard push uh, from some within the state to get Pitt's athletic director, Heather Like, and at Michigan State, and Alan Haller eventually got that job. So there are certainly some uh, some some dynamic subplots here uh, on the leadership side that that I think are are going to be fascinating to watch. Which at this point, though, they're you know. With everything going virtual, I'm not even sure if it'll it'll be that big of a, a story or a deal until after the game. You know, the I, I think that you know the other thing is if if Mel Tucker had left, I think Narduzzi might have been somebody they looked very hard at right now. Yeah, and went after, and so I I think that you know they're yeah they're all and and um, you know and it would have probably made sense, and I think he was actually more attractive as a candidate uh, now. Than he was when the job was open, just because they've had some success there, and 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 he's had a more of a run there, and you know more of a sense of the ceiling there probably for him at Pitt, and you know and things like that. That, um, and uh, yeah, no, I uh, you know, there's still decent storylines. It's still it's still a fun game, you know. And the other thing I I should mention when I say you know two six and six teams, and and obviously MSU was hurt by not having Kenneth Walker, but you know the whole team adopts a winning culture when you start winning. So it's like, yes, without Kenneth Walker, they're losing probably at least four of those games. But the season unfolds with everybody. And so you now have a passing attack that thinks of itself a certain way, especially with, you know, Jalen Naylor back. And you have... Maybe. We don't know that for certain. We don't for certain. But you, but there's a certain swagger to the team that's different because you had a winning season. There's a certain way, you know, that you think of yourself. And so, you know, they're, they're, you know, and, and I'm sure there are running backs on that roster who are just right now thinking this is a real opportunity to show that, 
there's not that much of a drop off. The guy you're bringing in isn't necessary. You know, all that sort of stuff. This is this is a real opportunity to do that. Who do you think the running back will be? Uh, I know Jordan Simmons got a lot of the number two carries, but I, there's a part of me that thinks it's going to be a, the Elijah Collins show. I think he's going to get a chance to do to do some things here in this bowl game. Yeah, I think that you know, the, the, to me, the the, the moment that, that really showed it was when they put Walker on the bench uh, at Ohio State in the second half. It was it was Collins. Um, Simmons fumbled in the first half and. You know that you know that I think kind of to me says that the pecking order is a little bit to be determined. Um, I'm sure that there's probably a competition for it. Um, and it still could be Har- Harold Joyner for all that we know, even though he hasn't got many carries. But um, you know, I, I I I to me it would be Collins because he's got experience in a bowl game and understands the the stage a little bit remember last time they played in a bowl game he was the best running back on the field and kenneth walker was across the field in wake forest's roster that's a really good that's a really good point and i think there's some goodwill towards elijah collins uh for the way he's handled things oh um, yeah on that staff and on that roster you know he's been incredibly supportive now you know he, he was injured a lot of the year so it wasn't like he was being uh, you know, withheld from and wasn't getting carries because of performance or being passed over. Um, but, you know, from, from all accounts, he has been an awesome teammate. And uh, and a guy, you know, you forget this guy was a featured running back and a pretty good one uh, in the big, at the Big Ten level for a year. So I, I think um, I think he's a guy that they like to take a look at. I think he's a guy they want to uh, give a shot to. I, you know, I don't know how they'll divvy it up, but I would be surprised if he's healthy if he doesn't see – uh, some opportunities. And that's the thing is, I mean, he's, you know, he had COVID last year. Um, and then this year, he, you know, everybody was raving about him going through fall camp and then he got hurt right at the end of fall camp. And when we went to the Northwestern game, he was basically relegated to a couple plays on special teams and that was it. And then he came back the next week against Youngstown state looks dynamic um, on one drive. He had all 52 yards scored on a 20 yard screen pass for a touchdown and got hurt again uh, with, with his ankle and the end zone didn't play for five weeks. So, I mean, you know, anybody needed some time off, probably it was Elijah Collins to, to get mended and, and get back. And, you know, he came back and, and played a couple of those games and, you know, needed to kind of reestablish himself. So it'll be, it'll be curious to see, how the staff approaches it. I mean, you know, maybe Connor Hayward's back at running back. Who knows? Maybe, maybe they move Quiveris Crouch over to running back uh, from linebacker. Let's get crazy. Now they got three line, linebackers coming in already the transfer portal. Let's go ahead and get that Quiveris Crouch move to running back <laughs> immediately. All right. Pop quiz for you guys. I think Harold Joyner came in last year with as much, maybe if not a little more fanfare than Kenneth Walker. Uh, how many carries did Harold Joyner get this year? Chris. Mm, I don't have the stats in front of I know, me. So this I have is, it in front of me. It's a pop. I'm going to say 22. 22. Graham. That's probably high. Uh, boy, I feel like he had more. I feel like he was thrown to almost more than he. Uh, yeah. Give me, give me, I'll go under. Give me 16. Yeah. I would have guessed five. Uh, the answer is 11. 11 carries. Hmm. And re- he only had three receptions for 24 yards. Now, he might have had more targets than that, obviously. But, yeah, 11 rushes, three receptions this year crazy yeah that sounds about right i mean 
you know, I, I do think it, you got another one of those things you got to keep in mind that he got dinged up in that Northwestern game uh, and he fumbled the ball. Yep. But he, I, that was one that I'm still not really sure why they didn't review it. Um, basically got knocked out cold and, and fumbled the ball. And, you know, I don't think he played in that Youngstown State game. And really he got relegated to number three back, uh, the, you know, all the way after that. So. And I'm not even sure how, how many carries did Jordan Simmons finish with. I bet you he finished with about 70, 60, maybe, maybe 50, 60. 55 is a number that's coming to mind, actually. Graham, what is your uh, guess on Jordan Simmons' carries? I thought he was on a pace for 455 at one point, but I, I think he tailed off. Give me 43. The correct answer, Chris, was one off, 54. Wow, okay. 54 rushes for 255 yards. So, yeah. All right, well, let's just continue this game. Elijah Collins, how many carries did he have this year? Um, I believe he had three against Youngstown State, and or maybe four. It might have been four against Youngstown State. And I believe that he had, I'm going to say a 14. Graham, you want to take a stab at it? Yeah, I, I don't know if it was that many, but maybe 12. 12 on the button. You guys are both pretty close. Graham on the button, Chris only two off. Kenneth Walker at 263 for, for what it's worth. That, so. Yeah, that's called a workhorse <laughs> yeah, right there. That yeah. is uh, the definition of, of a uh, workhorse. There's a reason There's a reason he got my vote for Heisman. You don't see those. You see, you see 263 carries split up between three backs in a lot of schools now. Yeah. And I think that maybe was... At some point, the potential plan, um, but the way that he ran in that Northwestern game, there was no doubt that that guy was going to be the, the bell cow for this team. Yeah, and he, uh, yeah, he actually proved it. Won a bunch of postseason awards. Uh, won the Maxwell Award despite not being a Heisman finalist. But that may be something we can <laughs> listen. Everybody around the country, you know, who's going to replace Kenneth Walker? Maybe it's going to be that by committee approach. Maybe it's going to be using three different backs and three different series or three different backs on three different downs. Who knows? But that, I mean, that's ultimately what the norm is right now in college football, uh, a lot more so than using a single back. You, you just don't find many guys like Walker right now, too, who are a, that durable and, and do that many things so well, or just do them better than everybody else that you, you want them in there, that you're hurting when they're not in there. It, it's, uh, you know, I mean, when's the last time Michigan State had that? It was really. I mean, Le'Veon even, Bell. Yeah. Cause even. Bell, even Jeremy Langford. Oh, that's a great point. Two years of Langford of fifteen hundred. That's a great point. Yeah, yeah. May, I, I could maybe even I, I'd I'd argue L.J. Scott, but that year they had three guys that they were rotating in there in his freshman year. Right, right, and you know he had his sophomore year was the year that he was closest. That was the year they they were not good, but he had like nine hundred ninety four yards. Yeah, and and uh, but even then they were rotating guys, even though he was the the main dude. Yeah, and even even until Le'Veon Bell's junior year, D'Antonio was doing that. I mean, you know, we you you romanticized Le'Veon Bell's Michigan State career, but he was fighting Edwin Baker and and Larry Caper for Kate carries that whole time as well. Um, and that was that was kind of the the staple that D'Antonio had until he found, you know, when Le'Veon Bell became Le'Veon Bell. Um, and became the guy who, you know, when Baker went to the NFL and Caper graduated, and, you know, he got the bulk of the carries. And then Langford, the following year, 
uh, following two years came in and did the same thing. Um, you know, it's a, you're right. That is a rarity. That's been a rarity for a little while in college football. Yeah, and we might we might see him go to the committee this year. You know, obviously you got Jalen Berger coming in from Wisconsin, but but no official running backs on the in the twenty twenty two recruiting class. So it it could be quite the battle if someone may or may not break out, or if it is like you guys have been talking about by committee. Well, speaking of the twenty twenty two recruiting class, uh, signing day was last Wednesday. Uh, good times for everybody. It, it was a little quiet on the Michigan State front, quiet in terms of. Not much last-second drama outside of the, the Keonta Goodwin stuff uh, where he'd been locked into Kentucky for quite a while, then almost switched to Michigan State, then lingered, then eventually signed with Kentucky with the uh, the five-star lineman kind of teasing Michigan State ultimately. But the Spartans did see no no other guys back out uh, with the exception of the whole Shannon Blair commitment. A couple of I mean, they did add three guys in the last 24 hours of the signing period too, though. Um, you know, it was Zion Young and Malcolm Jones and uh, one other uh, really late ad, I think on signing day. So, um, you know, that, that I think that, but it wasn't the, it wasn't the home runs that they were going for. Uh, these were a little more single guy, singles, three star guys, rather than the four star receiver Winfield, uh, Armani Winfield, who stayed home in Texas and, and Keonta Goodman, Goodwin, who the big offensive lineman, five star guy who stayed, went back to his home state in Kentucky um, what's interesting about it to me is that the, the class that it reminded me most of just going through in terms of like rankings and sort of star power at the top and everything though, and, and it is the 2010 D'Antonio class. And this is the class that sort of the, the, the carried the, this Rose bowl run. So this class is will Goldston's your five stars. So they didn't have a five star, but then it also had four yep. stars, Max Fuller, um, uh, you know, uh, uh, Skyler, what's Skyler's last name become? It was Schaffner. Schaffner, Berkland. Berkland, yep. And then Mylon Hicks, Isaiah Lewis uh, were both four stars. Uh, but then when you look at the rest of that class, it also had Keith Mumphrey, Marcus Rush, uh, Curtis Drummond, Travis Jackson, Mike Sadler, Tony Lippett, um, Jeremy Langford, Marquez Denard, Le'Veon Bell. I mean, it was... Um, that was an okay class, it turns out. <laughs> Turned out to be a great class, and and what what I mean by that is you had you know you didn't have you had you know you had about the same amount of four stars, but what you had there, and you could tell, and in, 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 you know one of the things, and Chris has covered a million of these, and you have to these signing days, you sort of learn to read the tea leaves on when a coach is sort of excited about a certain player or other, and you could tell there were certain guys that Mel Tucker brought up that he thinks are going to be players that he really thinks have a chance to be good and. Um, and coaches never say anything negative, but you you can tell the difference a little bit. And guys, they're really excited about seeing on the field. And so I just think there are probably in a couple, in several of those were three star guys. I think there are probably you know a handful of three stars on here that Mel Tucker is really excited about. Yeah, the the late ads, uh, you know, in particular uh, Caleb Coley, the cornerback. Uh, they're all Georgia kids, um, so. You know, there were a lot of Georgia connections, and obviously they're heading to Atlanta for the the Peach Bowl, so that's interesting. But, you know, the Caleb Coley, the cornerback, was one of them. Zion Young, the the defensive uh, lineman. Uh, but in particular, when you talk about what you were mentioning, Graham, about he talked about with Malcolm Jones, who who uh, committed basically, I think he was a Virginia Tech commit at one point. Uh, he committed the night before signing day. Um, he said that that was the best tape that he's maybe seen of a defensive player in five or six years. Yeah. 
I mean, that's a three-star kid. So, you know, that's there, there's sometimes some hyperbole to it, but you're right. You can tell that, you know, when they've got guys that they really like and in particularly the upside guys, um, you know, guy, even, a guy, even a guy like Antonio Gates, um, yeah. who if you just dig in and watch his tape, man, I mean, he, he looks like a, a future pro with how precise he is with his route running. Well, the, the edge rusher they got the six six kid that he's basically said, you know, this is the this is what we, this is the 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 answer to what our issues are or whatever. I mean, you know, you Chase get, Carter. Yeah, you get certain, um, and just so, what the doctor ordered. Just what the doctor ordered. Yeah, and so that that sort of thing is, um, you know, and the, the other thing is we don't know this yet. We learned with Antonio over time, and, and you you learn what you can trust from coaches in terms of hyperbole and what you can't. And a coach only gets so many signing days to be full of it and keep believing them. Uh, but, uh, you, you know, because D'Antonio got pretty good with, like, where his credibility really stuck was defensive backs. You know, when he came out, I remember when he first came out with Josiah Scott comparing him yeah. to Darquez Denard, and we're all like, all right, man, that's cool. Um, cool beans, dude. And yet, <laughs> it wound up, that was a kid right away. You could see the way he was attached to people, his closing speed, his, his swagger. You're like, okay, I see what, um, you know, Mark Antonio meant, and, and that buys you cachet. So the next time that happens, you, you sort of, you believe that. And, and you know, there were, you know we'll, we'll find out with Mel Tucker, you know, is he, and, and not every player is going to hit that you think is going to hit. That's not supposed to happen. But, you know, you, you'll get a sense of a sense of it as, as, as he goes along. Yeah, and I think the one thing about and I think that's an interesting point that you bring up with Josiah Scott because – on signing day, he talked him up, and then that continued immediately into the following month right. because he was an early enrollee. Um, so I think that's what you need to really kind of keep keep an eyeball on with uh, the, the the guys that are, are coming from this class. Um, the, those guys that are enrolled early, um, a number of them are going to have a chance to complete compete for playing time right away. Um, so that's, that's certainly what you want to kind of keep an eyeball on with, with the guys who are coming in, uh, early. I think there are, I think all four of the transfers, which, uh, will be in, in January, which that's, you know, we didn't even talk about the portal. They added defensive end, Chris Bogle from, uh, from Florida, uh, on signing day, which was, uh, you know, might, we, we talk about missing on some of those other guys, but getting a, a guy who's a proven commodity and a pass rusher uh, at a power five school certainly on paper helps. I mean, there was a lot of those transfers that, that made that move this year. You know, we talked so much about Kenneth Walker. Some of those guys either didn't pan out or still in the development process. I think that's like Drew something. Jordan from Duke. Well, Jordan is, was a graduate transfer and he's done. Yeah. So there's no development. He's, yeah. he's out the door and he played significant amount of downs in a backup capacity and was a, 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 a solid plug and play guy when you needed him to. But, you know, you look at like Chester Kimbrough and Marky Lowry and, you know, Ronald Williams, all those guys at the cornerback spot. I mean, you know, they, some, some of them were bit by injury. Some of them struggled, um, you know, crouch at linebacker had moments where he looked dynamic and a fantastic playmaker and others where he was out of position. And, you know, Jared horse went MIA at the end of the year, uh, for the last few weeks. So, 
you know, this is this is the nature of of some of that stuff. But that's why I think you got to keep an eye on those guys that that are coming in early. You know, guys like Mangum and Tatum, um, who are going to switch to safety. You know, they're athletes in high school. Those those guys will have a chance uh, to to get reps because they need pass help. They need pass coverage help. Jack Nickel at tight end. You know, they're going to have him. You know, they, there's a hole for for a tight end. Coley. And Chase Carter both coming in. So all these guys that are going to enroll early, I think, have a chance to to get on the field quickly. And and maybe some other guys like Val, Van Summeren also is another guy who will be in early. Yeah, well, the transfer I think that I'm most intrigued by is uh, the UNLV linebacker, Jacoby Winneman. He's a guy who was a every-down yeah. player for UNLV, had over 100 tackles this year, led the team in tackles two straight years. I mean, that is a guy who should come in right away now. Michigan State now Michigan State returns their two still have their two starting linebackers coming back in the four two five so and I don't know if that means there's going to be a shift in formation especially with Aaron Brule from Mississippi State another linebacker that's coming in so again I don't know if there's a shift in formation defensively or they're just trying to build depth or I, I don't know what's going to happen in that position it's going to be that's going to be something to watch out for for sure in spring practice well, I believe it's Brule as in creme brulee really okay he's from he's from Nolans <laughs> both of those guys are from Nolans. Um, yeah, no, it will be interesting. I've thought the linebacker thing is interesting anyway with re- just recruiting moving forward because I, I understand the four two five is what they want to run, and I think you can get a, a five-star. But I've said before, like with the Cal Hallidays of the world, if I'm a three-star kid and you're telling me you play two linebackers, I'm going to go to a school that plays three linebackers <laughs> or four linebackers. I, I, I've always I've thought that's the one issue with the four two five is like can you keep – recruit but you know you can come through the transfer portal and you can bring in good talent established talent and you can be fine um i I just think i think that's an interesting interesting dilemma we also have to have additional pass rush as well so you know i think that's you know that that third spot could be a fluid thing you know whether it be i shouldn't say third spot but that extra spot that you know, now is a nickelback. Maybe you bring a guy who who can be more of a pass rusher uh, to to have a little more three linebacker fronts. I don't think they necessarily had the depth to really experiment, particularly no. after Chase Klein left. I mean, they were you know Noah Harvey is a, as a traditional four three linebacker and uh, middle linebacker at that. He's not, not really a guy that's going to go midfield to sidelines. Um, that was your that was your only other option, quite honestly, behind the two starters and then you had to get to him after Klein transferred and after Crouch got hurt. So uh, there was a need for depth. There was a need for quality depth and speed at that position. Um, and in particular, you know, if, if it's, if I'm Quiveris Crouch is as good of, uh, uh, of a season as he had, uh, I'd still be worried about my starting job because these two guys that are coming in are bona fide starters. And I wouldn't be surprised if one of them ends up with the starting position. Yeah, Michigan State had five star, excuse me, five four star players in this class, and we mentioned everybody but the quarterback, uh, which is kind of surprising because usually that's the one we all focus on. That that was Kate Hauser from St. John Bosco in California. Uh, I believe he was at least early in there. He was splitting time at quarterback. I don't know if that's how the season finished. He out. did the whole season. Did the whole season. Uh, okay. They have a they have another four star prospect as well, um, who you know is a class behind him that. It you know, was getting uh, split reps at quarterback, but it's also, I think, a, a part of the the dynamic with having Peyton Thorne um, as a red as a, as a sophomore, and you know, really still kind of emerging. Um, it, it'd be different, I think, 
if you had a, a what look what would look to be a, a quarterback battle coming uh, in the future. But because Thorne really solidified his job, I don't think there's I don't want to say there's not as much luster on on Caden Hauser because I think that you know Hauser really over the course of the summer played his way into a four star grade and went to the elite eleven and did a lot of the things that you know, look like a guy that could be the next quarterback. Of course, a year ago we were saying Hamp Fay would be the next quarterback because right. that was their first one. Because that was Tucker, but, Tucker's um, guy, quote unquote. That's, that's but ultimately good. that's what happens every year at quarterback. Well, this is the next guy. This is the next guy. And, you know, until it plays out in the field and you have a guy elevate his play to become the starter like Thorne did and then really emerge on the field during the season, you'll always have that con- conversation. But Thorne, I think, looks at least, you know, to me – to be in control uh, of that job for the next two years at least. All right, well, let's move on to basketball where the Spartans have exceeded expectations pretty early here with a sparkling 10-2 and record. They uh, just beat Oakland in a game Tuesday night at Little Caesars Arena. They are ranked 11th nationally. Graham and Chris, you guys both kind of wrote... 10th nationally. 10th, sorry. I thought it was only one spot, not two spots. We, we sponsor only... the USA Today <laughs> coaches poll. So I thought they only moved up one spot, not two. My apologies. They moved My up to number 10 in the USA Today <laughs> coaches poll. Fine, another 10th best Brought team. to you by USA Today. Oh, sorry, sorry. And all the sports information directors that fill it out. Sorry, <laughs> <laughs> sorry parent company. Uh, both of you guys kind of wrote... Uh, similar things this week in terms of you know how the Spartans have ex- succeeded expectations and you know the, and the goals and and objectives have probably changed after after the start so far. Graham, uh, are you surprised at how well the Spartans have been this year? Yes, and uh, yeah, I am because I mean I, I you, you could see this path before the season a little bit. And I, I wrote a column before the season, sort of painting this picture, but I didn't think it would happen. You know. Like, it was one of those things I didn't because I didn't believe Marcus Bingham was going to be what he's been. Yeah. It was like because you, you could see how they would be underestimated if Tyson Walker was as good as advertised and he has been since December certainly, and if um, you know Max Christie played well and he's been you know hasn't shot the ball well but he's been a very complete player in a lot of ways and they've they've had a number of guys who have been and then, but the Bingham was the key uh, defensively and 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 he's been just magnificent and so. Um, at least relative to expectations. And um, I, so, yeah, no, I'm absolutely surprised. I, I think the, the best news for Michigan State is I don't think they've hit their ceiling. I think the fact that Christie hasn't shot the ball that well is, is, is good news in terms of that. They look like a team that has great roster construction a year after they didn't, partly because they have answers at the five and answers at the point guard position. They look like a team that has fun playing together. Um, and they went, for me, they went from a team that, could be it could make a sweet 16 run if things went well and be the beginning of maybe a two-year run where maybe next year they could do more to a team that looks like a sweet 16 team that if things go right could make a final four run and that's what's changed in in in, in my uh hypothesis i mean it is scary that they haven't i don't think they've approached their ceiling yet and i i'm not really sure what the ceiling will be with this group i mean when you see the the point guard play evolving like it was and that there was a moment in that game when Izzo got his technical and Tyson Walker went down the bench and really put his arm around Izzo and walked him away from a confrontation and calmed him down afterward he said you know we got this coach don't worry we got you um that's one of those moments where if if it's Tom Izzo you know he's looking at that and saying we we're starting to become a player led team and it's not even January yet. 
that usually happens in February for Izzo teams. Um, the, the, the job that Walker has done in building that relation and with Izzo too, the, the job that they've done in building that relationship and turning it into what we're seeing right now, still in the embryonic stages, uh, leads me to believe that, you know, whatever we think the ceiling is, it could be higher than that. And I'm sure Izzo probably believes that as well. I thought Greg Campy afterward was he, he he said he could sense in Izzo that he feels like this is a special team. And I don't know if he would have, you know, if you pinned him down in, in October, if he would have said that. But how quickly it's evolved and emerged, um, particularly breaking in a new point guard who um, – you know, I, he's never gone that route. He's never had that transfer point guard to to be the guy, the leader, uh, let alone a, a guy who came in as a veteran and a little older who understood what and why he said rather than having to take the speed bumps of learning Tom Izzo and learning, you know, when he says things and how he says things sometimes don't necessarily jive and might rub you, got, rub you wrong. Tyson Walker seems like he gets it. And that to me tells me that I, 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 the sky could be the limit for this team. The best news for MSU is that it just looks like a group that um, enjoys each other. Yeah. Izzo really enjoys. And those seasons, you know, he's had a number of those seasons, but they don't always happen. And um, and I also think the really good news for MSU is whatever the – there, there's a really good chance this is a, uh, a, a sort of a two-year group, and 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 I don't think you know. I mean, there's obviously Gabe Brown and, and uh, Mark Sping will have decisions to make after this year that are relative to how they're projected and all that stuff. Um, and, and you know, but there's a decent chance one of those guys winds up doing that extra year, and especially yeah. if it's, you know, I think it's um, is, maybe important. both. I mean, maybe both when you look and you see there right. are two open scholarships right now. I don't know. And you know, Izzo would would you know, from my understanding, Izzo would love to have them both back. And 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 I think you know, the the one thing you get a little concerned with that would be, I'm a believer that you can't just run it back entirely the same. Those years are never as fun, never as good. You need some sort of change in dynamic. And one of the you know, the the, the Gabe Brown, Malik Hall becoming the leaders of this team instead of Aaron Henry was a big change. There's a lot of changes in dynamic. A lot of new pieces, guys, new roles. There's a, a lot of new, exciting stuff for a lot of different guys. And, you know, I think it's hard just to – so, you know, but but that's that's tomorrow's problem. You, you, right now this is a team that I think has a chance to um, – you know, it'll be interesting in the Big Ten because, you know, even Purdue, who is, is on paper as good as they look, you know, you see them lose on the road to Rutgers. They play Michigan State once it's in East Lansing. You know, you just, you know, you know, I mean, obviously there's a ton of ways to go. MSU's going to have to prove it against good teams in tough environments. And, uh, but nothing that we've seen this far is discouraging. It's kind of funny regarding Tyson Walker. We were, we were wondering a couple podcasts ago, and myself included, about how this was exactly going to work and fit after some, after a bumpy start. But I've been really impressed with the way Walker has kind of led the team and, uh, kind of got to eat my words from a, from a couple podcasts ago regarding that. It takes time. It takes time to learn how to play point guard for Tom Izzo, but I think his maturity is really what has allowed that transition to happen really in in real time, probably in the last three weeks. Um, I think they both needed to kind of get a little 
maybe indoctrinated to how each other competes. But like I said, that one moment to me is one that, that by at the end of the year, we might look back at and say, that's the moment where Tyson Walker became a Tom Izzo player. <laughs> yeah. I saw the photos where, uh, or in the video too, where he put his, Tyson Walker put his arm around Tom Izzo, uh, during a portion of the game against Oakland, where I think, uh, that was right after he was arguing with the officials and, he pulled him away from the confrontation. Yeah, to have to have the confidence to to do, be able to do that right away, I think kind of showed where him and Tom's relationship is at this point. Yeah, I mean, I think he's got thirty eight assists and nine turnovers since December started. You know, like that's the turnover storyline is kind of it's old at this point in the sense that if you look at the two point guards uh, since December, I think are sixty assists and uh, like eighteen turnovers, something like that. 19 turnovers, something in that range. It's it's three to one, and if they go three to one all year, that they're going to be great. <laughs> so, you know, they, it's just a turnover ratio. I know Izzo has been diplomatic about this because um, you know I asked him about the difference, and he said it's hard to me to put a finger on it. But everybody else that's watched this team sees it with the point guards, um, and it's the difference. I mean, can't be. I asked Campy about it. Uh, after that game, and he's, he pointed directly to the point guards. I mean, Gabe Brown has said it. Marcus Bingham has said it. The difference is what those two do at the, at the point of attack on defense and, and how that changes the dynamic there. It, you see how everything is symbiotic in this program, that if you're able to – you start at the defensive end and you generate things, your offense will, will come. And, you know, the fact that you've got two guys that are – I'd say they're different defenders because they're bigger. You know, Hogart's bigger and kind of provides a different look on the ball. And Walker is just such a, you know, I hear people talk about water bugs, but I mean, he is the, he is the embodiment of what is a once a point guard to be in terms of a defensive uh, disruptor and in guys faces. And I think that's, that's ultimately the difference you add in, Christie on the wing, you add in Akins, um, you add in Brown, you know, kind of playing the three more. Um, now all of a sudden you've got that gap defense and uh, it working because it starts with the ball pressure up front. And that's, that's what I think changed this from a year ago. And that they will play a high point uh, next week for the Big Ten schedule where they will take on Northwestern on January 2nd and Nebraska on January 5th. And then we're off, we're off to the races from there to see what kind of wizardry the spartans can uh can whip up and one thing i was thinking about here we went this far into the basketball discussion we did not mention joey hauser he he it seems like the pressure has gone off him a little bit over the past uh two or three weeks as well which is also a great sign and and uh, Malik calls also been playing well so everything seems just just seems to be clicking on all cylinders for the spartans in, in that regard they don't need hauser to be something he i mean like he's hit some shots he's played okay he hasn't been yes and the big thing about hauser is he has not been a turnover machine of late and you know, I think I think people realize too when after Izzo um, kind of admonished some of the you know behavior toward him that it was a little much. This is a good team. He he doesn't need to play a massive role on it. He just needs to play a, 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 a you know a, a sizable role to four. And um, uh, yeah, I, I, it's good for him that I think that you're right. You don't hear that sort of. There was you could there was an audible I don't want to say gasp but you could hear the tension when he had the ball and made mistakes at Breslin for a couple games. It wasn't tension. I heard straight up bad words coming out of yeah. fans' mouths. Yeah, 
directly at him. Yeah. And, you know, screaming to get him out of there. Um, I think to me, you, you mentioned about, the, I think the turnovers is a big component. He's, he's cut down on that and you saw him moving the ball uh, really with efficiency uh, on the perimeter and, and from the interior. I think he had the, he, he set up the first uh, three of the game for Max Christie uh, yeah. at the palace, you know, on an inside out at the palace. Oh my gosh. Little Caesars. Um, but uh you know, the other thing that I think is quietly really improved is I've seen him. He looks like a much better and he's not he's not what I would call an elite defender by any means, but he is playing a much more serviceable brand of defense and moving his feet and getting in front of guys. Um, you know, he got called for a blocking call that should have been a, a push off and a charge. That's what ultimately set Izzo off on the tee, and I think partly because. Hauser did everything right and was in the right spot at the right moment. And, and, you know, we didn't see that a year ago. Even when he was scoring early in the season, he was a defensive liability. But he's rounding into – you're seeing components, the, the offensive rebounding, all the, all the little things that he's doing are, are adding up, even though the threes aren't falling. All right. Uh, any final thoughts here before we, uh, before we wrap up here? Where, uh, when are you guys heading to uh, Georgia for the Peach Bowl? That's, that's TBD. A lot of things changed yesterday, so I don't know yet. Yeah, we'll see if I have to change my flights again. But uh, at this moment, it will be on Tuesday that I will get to Atlanta. Mostly to, hopefully, to get to Atlanta. The flight is scheduled for Tuesday in case of weather. <laughs> it is still December in Michigan. Yes. it just it, and, Atl- and Atlanta isn't exactly going to the Bahamas. Right, and it's just tough how... The fluid situation just isn't really related to the weather, as we spend a lot of time talking about at the beginning of the podcast. So we yeah. are hoping for everybody's health and happiness over the holidays, and uh, hopefully Michigan State can bring you the gift of a win over High Point on Wednesday, and then the football team can beat the Panthers in the Peach Bowl, because I assume that's what our listeners would prefer. Look, I think it'll be. Uh, I think it should still be hopefully an entertaining game. Um, it should hopefully feel like a big environment because they've earned that this year. You know, I'm just going to go away from sports, and I just, you know, want to wish everybody a, a healthy and happy holidays uh, over the course of the next few weeks. I mean, who knows when we'll be able to reconvene here, probably after the bowl game, maybe after the new year because there's a basketball game on the second. So um, it might be a bit. So uh, I know a lot of people have had some really trying times this this year. Um, it. You know, being still in the middle of the pandemic is is really difficult, and I know people have experienced losses this year. And I really hope you all have a happy holidays and and enjoy the people that that you love and you uh, can be around. Thank you for joining us for this edition of Spartan Speak, a production of the Lansing State Journal, Detroit Free Press, and the USA Today Network. If you enjoy this podcast and the work surrounding it, please consider subscribing. You can follow our coverage at lsj.com, freep.com, and on Twitter at Graham underscore Couch, at Chris Solari, at Phil underscore Friend, and LSJ Greenwhite. Thanks for listening. Just going to run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. 
From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts.